It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm Bob Perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we are learning from Samora Chapman. Now, Samora is probably best known as a photographer these days, although I knew him uh, growing up in our 20s in the Devon creative scene as a writer and as the editor for Mahala whilst I was running Durban Is Yours. So we used to be a little bit competitive with each other uh, back in the day, trying to get those views, trying to get those hits, trying to get those clicks. And we chat about that a little bit on this podcast. But what we mostly chat about is uh, photography and Samora's whole journey through it, you know, from a graph kid doing graffiti all over Durban and taking photos of that. And then turning his camera around into the spaces that he was finding himself in. And that has led to many different spaces, places, and yeah, lots of different kinds of interaction with his work. And it's now led to an upcoming exhibition at the Durban Art Gallery with Cedric Nunn called Revelations. So that's that comes up, obviously, <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, we chatted, yeah, we chat about the nuances of street photography, about the ethics, about learning uh, those sorts of things through criticism from the public, and yeah, just, <laughs> just we reminisce quite a bit over the old days of comment sections on blogs where things used to get lit before social media just became the perpetual comment section. Like Twitter these days is just a blog's, you know, comments <laughs> like section without the without the content really. Like no one actually reads the fucking articles that are shared on Twitter. You just see the headline and then you dunk on it. Like that's that's how it goes. So yeah, we kind of see how maybe well I, I see now that maybe we contributed to that a little bit. Uh with some of the more inflammatory things that we used to write <laughs> back in the day. Oh man. Yeah, Samara was having a bit of a bad day. So this this one kicks off a bit slowly, but we do get into it. So yeah, just letting you know, like Samora, yeah, was going through something at the time and was still gracious enough to give me his time and to like really get into things. So I'm super grateful for that. And yeah, I hope you hope you enjoy the chat that is coming up in just a little bit. Of course, I have to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by you, which means you can support it by going to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. And yeah, you can sign up to various different levels there. There's a whole bunch of different things that you get out of it, including t-shirts and mugs. Now, mugs we've been doing for ages. If you want to buy a mug, they are 100 rand each. 10 rand from each sale goes to Sasunke. Sasunke is an organization that is working to decriminalize sex work here in South Africa. Uh, they are sex workers themselves, and they're obviously pro-sex work. And yeah, you can check them out at sasunke.org.za. And mugs are 100 rand. Now, t-shirts are a new thing. You've, you've heard me say that other thing a million times. But yeah, t-shirts are new. We're actually sold out of the mediums already. 
almost sold out of the larges, almost sold out of the smalls. We were almost sold out of everything, basically. There's like two of each left and one of each of some. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of t-shirts left in the first batch, so I'm going to get more printed next week. And those should be getting sent out. I was hoping today, but the courier guy haven't given me all the stationary stuff that I need from them to be able to send everything out. So if you're waiting on a t-shirt, if you ordered one this week, it'll come early next week. I'm sorry. Uh, like I had a meeting with them on Monday. I've paid them already. We got everything sorted. I'm just waiting on them, which hopefully isn't a bad sign for our business relationship going uh, forward. But yeah, t-shirts have been selling well. It's been so fucking cool, man. It's been yo, it's been heartwarming. Um, yeah, oh yeah. If you want to order these things, hit me at bob at almostperfect.co.za. Other than that, I got the t-shirts, and I probably will be doing like a special for a t-shirt and a mug at some point. If you're looking to get both, then maybe hold off for a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it's been fucking cool, man. Yeah, just seeing so many people being amped and people really digging the shirts. And it's so simple, you know, it's just the logo over my titty. And yeah, it's fucking awesome that so many people, so many of you are willing to wear this thing, you know, on your chest, on your heart. You know, say it with your chest, baby. That really does, like, like I don't... I don't know, this thing's weird, man, you know, doing these things, especially when you do them on your own, and especially when you've had experience and other things, and, you know, built a brand that didn't necessarily, like, it made it for a bit, like, it was doing alright, like, DIY did alright, like, never made money, never made fucking, <laughs> I mean, like, made some money, but, like, not, like, money money, you know, like, not, yeah, just, and yeah, to be back doing another thing, and, like, that thing being like very me centric i guess you know the durban is yours thing was very durban centric obviously but this is like the perfect part of it and like the whole thing the almost perfect is many different things actually it is partially the whole thing of um now that you don't have to be perfect you can be good or perfect is the uh, perfect is the enemy of good or perfect is the enemy of good enough all those things you know depending on what what quote side you get things from <laughs> or who like riffed on it I, I can't even fucking remember man i smoked a joint before doing this i'm sorry i get that i'm rambling but that's also because i am now sponsored by uh king's house of herbs on florida road go check them out if you if you want to start your day the right way i've got yeah i got some cookies from them i got some gummies from them i got paraphernalia necessary for the smoking of weed and they have got many other things there that i didn't indulge in like creams and cbd oils and grow kits they've got grow kits and everything so if you dig your marijuanas and uh, your marijuana related accessories and edibles and topical lotions hit <laughs> king's uh yeah king's house of herbs on florida road but but where was i i was talking about t-shirts and just brand building and all of those things and yeah the the almost perfect thing is also because of like my name's not bob perfect it's darren scott i mean i've explained this many times i'm not like hiding anything but my grand's maiden name is perfect 
And so, you know, I was almost going to be a perfect. In a, in, a different, in a different timeline, I could have been a perfect. <laughs> so, almost perfect. Don't know if you all needed to hear all of that. I had a bunch of other shit I wanted to talk about, but now, now I'm done with that. Uh, I do want to say, go check out the other radio. The first episode of Blowing Smoke with Bob uh, was launched on Monday. And it'll be coming out every two weeks. So I fucking loved getting to do that. It was kind of like being on the radio again. Except for I could fix some of my mistakes in post. So yeah, like I I did the show. It's basically like country, emo, punk. I, I sell it as if Rob Gordon from High Fidelity went to the Winston in the 2000s. This is the radio show he would produce. So that's that's it. That's the whole thing. It's just hipster shit, you know? But it's not even like hipster shit. It's like hipster shit. Like OG hipster shit. Like not like fucking wearing bow ties and having beards hipster shit. It's like the hipsters who look down on hipsters. That's 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 where I'm at. That brings us to the shout-out section of the podcast. And we do this every single week because we have got a cast and crew here. It's not just me doing everything here. I mean, I'm doing all the work, but we have a whole team behind us here. Over at patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. And we have a tier there called the titular titles tier. And like I said, that makes you a part of the cast and crew right here. You get to pick your title here at almost perfect media just by giving me $10 a month. $10 a month. It's nothing. Except the fact that, you know, we live in South Africa where if you earn more than seven grand a month, you're fucking coining it. So, yeah, I understand if not, you know, I get it. Uh, but these are the big ballers. So shout outs to Chief Sales Officer of Subtle Heresies in the Greater Overberg region, Rousseau. Shout out to Bashendra Nadu, who is our spiritual advisor. Shout outs to our director of purchasing, Riz Ventura. And then uh, shout outs to Tyron Love. A pantsless weasel. If there's any other Dilbert fans out there, like who listen to this podcast and you know aren't taking horsey wormer, then yeah, hit me up, and you can you can also pick a Dilbert related title here at Almost Perfect Media. Uh, shout outs to Kath Jenkin, the inevitable ruler of the universe, and Queen Swifty. Shout outs to our king, that is of course Julian. Shout outs to our Almost Perfect hedge fund manager. That is Karan Slemon. Shout outs to the other Karan. That is Karan Chetty, who is the assistant to the regional manager. Shout out to Stephen Olafia, who is the executive producer. And of course, shout out to Neil Green, who is our key grip. Lastly, and least importantly, shout out to our anonymous benefactor. He has uh, been a factor. Uh, uh, that was terrible. I'm sorry. I'm not going to take it back. I'm just going to let us uh, wallow in that one for a couple seconds. And with that, it's time for the Almost Perfect Podcast with Samora Chapman. So how are you living, Samora? Hey, Bob. I'm all good, man. I'm all right. I'm, I'm alive and kicking. How are you doing? I'm good. Um, I'm also alive and kicking. Like, I'm feeling, feeling up and down at times, but today... I've, you know, done my, my things I need to do. I did a bit of yoga before this, yeah. so I'm feeling feeling good at the moment. <laughs> Today's a good day. 
Yeah, it's it's been it started out a little rough, and then yeah, I've got I've tried to get my head in order, and now it feels a bit better, especially now that we're going to be chatting. And and yourself, you how's how's your week started out? Sure, there's a, there's a whole ton of stuff going on, but um, yeah, I'm also just really trying to get my head in the right space. Um, I you know I've I'm personally going through some pretty tough times. So it's it's just kind of as I said to you in, in a little off off the air chat that I gotta get my head in the right zone, you know. So I'm just gonna try to be honest and yeah, maybe we can have a little therapy session. <laughs> I think it's pretty relatable, bro, because like a lot of people have come on this podcast on this last year and definitely been like, Yo, listen, mate. Things are a bit tough, eh? Like it's been, yeah. it's been that kind of situation. It's been such a, yeah, just for me especially. Like I just had like if people have been listening to this podcast for quite a while know like it's just been like one damn thing after the other where things were just going wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong and like it's like you just feel like you can't catch a fucking break, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, I totally, I totally get you on that, and you know, I think. Life is all about, you know, how you get through challenges and how you deal with problems and how you you go grow stronger and you know the, the the relationships that you build along the way and the people that you connect with and it 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 ain't gonna be easy, you know. And I know like positivity is so important and you know being grateful for all your blessings and at the same time. <laughs> shit can be real and yeah um let's let's kick it off where do we dig <laughs> well, in where do we well, start let's, <laughs> well let's start with your upcoming exhibition then let's actually just start at the end i guess and we'll yeah. work our way back to the beginning because you've got okay. a really big like deal come like this exhibition's a fucking big deal you're at the durban art gallery so tell me what it's about. I know it's with Cedric Nunn. I have read everything, but I want to hear it out of yeah, like your mouth. What's what's the vibe here? So yeah, um, probably around mid to to twenty third of December. Uh, not December, sorry, September. So it's about two three weeks away. We're still finalizing the date. Um, we're gonna have a show at the Circular Gallery at Durban Art Gallery. So it is. You know, I suppose it's quite a big deal. It's it's exciting. That I've is done a big so many deal. Little, thank you. I appreciate that. I've done a lot of DIY exhibitions over over time. You know, yeah. To be invited to show at Durban Art Gallery is I'm I'm very grateful and I'm I'm humbled to be showing with Cedric Nunn. Um, so for those that don't know, Cedric is quite a you know iconic South African photographer who made a lot of work around apartheid and also sort of the liberation and you know from this work that he's going to be showing is from around 84 to 94 i think so the work was kind of being made when when i was born and it's now the exhibition is a look at kwazulu natal kzn and south africa you know i mean as a microcosm of south africa yeah a visual kind of journey through KZN in the 80s and early 90s and then kind of where we at now with my work over the last 10 years so sort of a reflection of of you know how far as 
has the country come? How far has the province come? And you know that this we both kind of document the the struggle to survive. You know the human struggle and the strength yeah. and dignity through that. And so the work is sort of a it's a look from two different perspectives at the same kind of place. And it's interesting to see that the imagery is quite similar in a way. You know, I and noticed that uh, with some of it. Yeah, you know all the all the hope. You know all the hope of. Um, a liberated South Africa is important and, you know, it It was, you know, obviously we. I, I have a very positive outlook on our country, but I'm also about telling, you know, speaking truth to power yeah, and looking at things as they are. And there is, you know, there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of exploitation and then there's a lot of suffering. But I mean, throughout my work, what I try and do is, you know, I don't, I'm not really about, you know, celebrating struggle and suffering of the people. It's not like I'm, I choose to focus in on that. You know, I, I've, I like to find beauty in, in the daily human struggle, you know, and the, and the struggle to survive the things that we all share, you know, and I always meet people that are doing beautiful things and that are proud and that are, artists you know i'm drawn to street portraits and people that are doing exciting things in the public space that really stand out so yeah this this work is is cedric nunn and samora chapman showcasing kzn three decades apart in a nutshell <laughs> in a nutshell <laughs> well yeah i guess that brings up i think i uh, rambled no no like well, you touched on a lot of stuff i actually wanted to kind of talk to you a bit about because that is, yeah. you know, something that comes up, up in your work a lot is the poorer side of life, the harder side of life, the the struggles that come through life. But I do see that you do try and show the joy that can still exist within those spaces and the creativity that people can exhibit yeah. within those spaces. So what's your journey been with photography of the streets, essentially? Because I know, like... I still remember you got a lot of backlash back in the day for, well, I think it was a bit of backlash on Mahala when you first did stuff on the Wonga Cats. And like, how has all of that like shaped your mm. worldview when it comes to photography? Because obviously these are like touchy subjects and these are people who deserve dignity. So how do you approach these things and how have you learned mm. over the years to be more sensitive to it, I guess? Yeah, thanks, Bob. That's a great question, man. And it, it's it's all it is has been a learning curve. It's definitely been a learning curve. So I, I studied English and politics. Okay. Not photography. So I was sort of aiming at journalism and film um, and writing. And I obviously was always interested in photography, but I didn't have the formal education uh, in photography, and maybe was a little ignorant of of kind of a lot of the ethical debates that happen. Sure. And I guess I picked up a camera. I was doing a lot of graffiti at the time with my brother growing up, sort of late teens, early 20s. That took me into, you know, interesting kind of crazy parts of the city and then documenting the graffiti, needing to get flicks of stuff that we were painting, kind of introduced me to these environments that I'm, you know, being a suburban kid, hadn't really explored and you know I kind of 
I gradually turned my camera away from just graffiti and street art and started documenting the environment because I found it so exciting and beautiful and, you know, the characters I would meet and the conversations that I had and the places I was going, I felt like it was really an exciting thing to start documenting. And I've done it, been documenting the Durban inner city since then, probably for 10 or 11 years. I just keep going back and, you know, I've built up a body of work. And obviously, as you say, there's been some curveballs and and a lot of backlash. And a lot of it came through the writing that I was doing. Yeah. And the report, the, the kind of reportage, you know. And I've, I mean, I feel like I was, I was being quite, um, quite ruthlessly honest with that work. And in a way, being, you know, being, having such a sort of, I don't know how to put it, like, a, you know, like such a sure opinion of everything. Being sort of, yeah, un, oh, I don't it know how to put it. Of but, youth. Like, and it is also the yeah, like kind in, of the ignorance of youth. And it's also kind of yeah, what's encouraged, in like, yeah, because you know, I remember Mahala at the time, and I remember even Durban is yours at the time, and you know, lots of and Vas, you know, like essentially being yeah. a model for a lot of stuff that was going on in journalism, and. Yeah. yeah, like that stuff was kind of encouraged was to, I don't know, just to say, tackle, say tackle. anything you want. Yeah, exactly. And like to be, yeah, be bold in saying things that you might not necessarily know enough about. I know exactly. I did. Exactly. And I tackled, yeah, we all did. And we tackled some huge issues in our 20s that were very sensitive, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And where I, and there was no sort of, there was like a very much a sort of a fuck you rock star attitude towards publishing and yeah. not a sort of an understanding about, about the, how far that voice and that opinion could go and how you needed to actually treat your subjects. My, I, I needed to treat my subjects with more sensitivity going forward. And I learned a whole lot and I, I really stopped writing from that very much sort of first person narrative style that I was doing and it had its time and place but a lot of my work going forward has almost been you know direct channeling of conversations and you know just sort of trying to let people speak their truth instead yeah. of you know putting my interpretation in my writing so much and having such a huge opinion about you know, the way things are going, because I don't actually know shit most of the time. I, I, I have an opinion, but I think if I'm, if I'm doing storytelling, then what I've learned is to let my subjects have their own voice. And photography is easier to do that because it's a, it's a direct representation of a moment in time, you know? Yeah. Whereas journalism has, has this kind of, it's like filmmaking, you know, there's, there's so much in the craft and there's so much in the retelling that there's tone and there's, you know, there's a choice of words and you can just manipulate and, you know, use every little angle to get a message across. And I've kind of backed away with that a lot in my writing. And that pushed me towards 
working harder in my in my photojournalism and my photography and letting kind of the the work speak for itself so what yeah what i'd like to do more of is just you know giving other people people that i meet people that i i take portraits of giving them the opportunity to you know say something sort of humans of new york style you know yeah well i've noticed like essentially that your work kind of just got more empathetic over the years like is the way i would describe it and especially with your writing because yeah once you grow up and you kind of learn that it's not all about you it's not about like getting your name over or it's not about like like as a writer sometimes depending on what you're writing sure that can be the goal but if you're telling someone else's story and you're you're getting like your voice too much in it and you're like meddling mm. a bit too much yeah, yeah like it, that's an ego thing you know I, I from my perspective like that's something that i've like had to learn with this podcast especially like there used to be a time where mm. yeah like i would do things that just annoy the fuck out of me now if i listen back to all the episodes and mm. i'm grateful though that you know like as time goes on you learn and you do get better and you do mm. learn to understand the sensitivities and yeah, have a bit more empathy, I guess, as yeah, as you grow up. But I guess that yeah, means we man. could take it back a little bit since I was talking about growing up. You you were a surfer kid, yeah, like yeah. I assume. Yeah, surfer kid, graffiti kid. Yeah, what was childhood like? Totally. Um, yeah, I'm still that kid, man. I'm just a big kid, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a surfer graffiti kid, but I'm... Um, you know, I'm also a dad and, and a husband now, but yeah, growing up but not let going letting go of that you know, that that childlike spirit, it's definitely it's who I am. Um but yeah, I grew up in in mostly Hillcrest, a little suburb outside of outside of Durban. But uh trying to spend as much time at the beach surfing and yeah, just living that healthy lifestyle, did a lot of sport. Yeah, I, you know, I grew up very close to my brother and we pretty much just, you know, we did everything together. We we surfed together, we played sport, skate, do graffiti, listen to hip-hop. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it progressed from there and, and everybody in that little scene of mine, pretty much we were all very artistically driven um my, you know my dad's a writer and a musician and my my mom's a mosaic artist so uh all so my friends got into your whole life. You know, yeah it's very much creativity has been nurtured and and the idea that you need to pursue your your own path you know and um use your talents and follow your heart and and I've been so blessed with my upbringing and my family and, and the people in my life, my friends. And and Durban as a city, the work, you know, the creative community has been incredible growing up. And I mean, more broadly in South Africa, I know we, we sort of, we were able to touch base in Cape Town and Joburg once in a while. Yeah. Um, and yeah. But more feel back like in the day. <laughs> my, my trajectory... Yeah, sure. I really miss going to Joburg and Cape Town and getting that big city vibe, you know, and, and meeting people and chatting and networking. So, I, yeah, my journey has really been a testament to to the community that surrounded me, that's encouraged me and 
helped me along the way. Yeah, so like how did you get into the the scene, you know, in Durban? Because like you're saying, you had a crew of friends who I assume you guys all did graffiti together. And did you come into like, you know, the Winston and Burn and those sorts of places like as a crew or did you and your brother find it on your own? How did that all happen? Uh, <laughs> shit, we must be getting old, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Got to try and remember this journey. Um, yeah, so the Winston and the Durban music scene, you know, live and, you know, the Durban music scene Unity definitely 11. drew us into town. Unit 11, live, yeah, Winston, Thunder Road, I suppose. Oh, yeah. we, we, we were formed, we formed a little crew, you know, the little Hillcrest crew. We'd have to all gang into a car together and come down to town, you know, and, and kind of slowly become a part of the scene because obviously up in Hillcrest, it's like super dead suburban <laughs> fucking malls and car dealerships and we were always drawn to the city and obviously the music scene like we're we're all music heads so we started coming to all the gigs that we could a lot of our friends are musicians and a lot of the waldorf kids you know black math and i was gonna say oh you're a waldorf kid I'm a Waldorf kid, yeah. Yeah, your Hillcrest kid, his parents, like, you know, supported them in their artistic endeavors. Of course you went to Waldorf. <laughs> yeah, we're so lucky, man. We really are. But, yeah, so we were definitely kind of a part of the, the Winston scene. It was a cornerstone where pe- like-minded people would meet, you know, have a beer, talk about cool creative shit that we're doing, support each other. The graph scene was always a bit challenging because coming up <laughs> – there was a lot of beef. Oh, especially coming from Hillcrest, of, I can imagine. Yeah, there was always a lot of like, you know, conflict and bullying and stupid shit. And but posturing and, yeah. Yeah, we luckily, we kind of, we all moved away from that pretty quick. And, you know, everybody that was kind of in that little art crew that we that we formed went on to have interesting, exciting careers in art you know like yeah the guys are either street artists or tattoo artists or musicians or painters you know journalists kind of like i suppose i'm a photographer i have great aspirations of being an artist but i, I that's kind of photographer is an at. artist but sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> i get you some kind of a <laughs> Yeah, but uh, that that scene growing up was so rad, you know. And I got to I got to look at your work and see what DIY was doing, and you know contribute to Mahala and and be kind of a voice on the scene. How and did that all come about? Definitely, it was just very it was very vital for me finding a platform, I suppose, and you know cutting my teeth as a journalist and a photographer. Uh, yeah, that's I suppose that was just the the kind of birth of real vibrant online magazines. And that was Durban is yours and Mahala at the time for me was like the cool shit, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to be a part of it and and what I could do was while I was trying to find my feet as a journalist and a photographer and Andy Davis at Mahala was he was the first one to publish me, and uh, it's funny. I was getting, I was getting like three hundred bucks a story, you know. 
So I started my career trying to survive off like 300 bucks a story. And I mean, you started your career getting paid. Uh, that's like, you know, a big difference to many people. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I was always a hustler. Yeah. I always, I, I refused. I couldn't, I needed at least my beer and my petrol to be covered. Yeah, I remember that. That's the thing with Durban is yours. Like, I didn't have a sales guy, so we didn't have ads really. And like, yeah, the the pay thing yeah. was the the issue when it came to DIY. But yeah, you landed up with Mahala, and you actually landed up like becoming the editor. So, what was that journey? It was an exciting journey, and it was a really good um, challenge. I was definitely too young and inexperienced to be trying to run a magazine, even though it was an un- online magazine. Uh, so yeah. What were what were some of the challenges that were? I feel like I feel like Mahala had it had a real like a heyday and a high point, you know. And when I was a contributor, sort of really kind of finding my feet, Mahala was on a high, and it had a lot of strong voices and brave writers and photographers pushing the envelope, and it was a good thing to be a part of. And it had a good sort of a five year run, you know. And then when I got the opportunity to take over as editor, I wasn't 100% ready for it, I feel. It's a big responsibility to have that editorial control and to be the final (laughs) authority on a subject, you know? It's a scary thing. And when you have a lot of readers and a big audience and a responsibility and advertisers, I mean, some people are up for it at, 21 you know i wasn't up for it at 29 when it happened <laughs> and i feel like i did my best and it was an exciting learning curve in terms of how to run an online platform and um yeah it didn't really work out but i learned a lot and i feel like andy davis is an incredible mentor and he's a he's a real like a visionary guy you know and he's really smart and I go to him with with pretty much everything still I, I talk to Andy about oh, you sure. know, what should I do about this challenge or where should I go with that story or you know yeah he's like Andy Davis coach Davis you know <laughs> so that that relationship has been hugely valuable in my life and I'm super grateful for Andy, and I still work with him at Mami Wata. Um, I still work with him at Zigzag. So it's all about relationship building, you know. And I'm, and I'm still doing stuff with Bob Perfect from DIY. So <laughs> here we are. Yeah, fuck that. That's the thing about Durban, though. Eh? Is like, yeah, you build connections, and they just grow over the years, like the relationships, and like you know, things ebb and flow. But I also think, like, just as, like, you get out of your 20s and you stop, like, yeah, like, letting ego dictate things and letting, for me personally, you know, just wanting to be, like, a name and wanting to be popular and all of that. Like, once I've let go of that, it's just been, like, yeah, being allowed to see other people in more honest lighting. Because before, you know, when you're competing with everyone, it's like, fuck that guy. In my mind, at least. (laughs) Yeah. So... Yeah, I still remember, like, at times being a little competitive with Mahala. Yeah, we totally had a thing going on. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> but it was, you know, it was that's a competition. Great. At least we had it. At least we had it. That's exactly it. Because uh, you were also like mirroring some like things that were going on in my mind there, like with Durban as yours. It's like I was not like like I was fine like to dictate some stuff, but like I did not know enough about life to be like ag- like agreeing to publish some things and to be going like yeah no that's a, that's totally fine. Like I didn't study journalism. I don't like I didn't like know the ethics of any of that stuff like i was just wilding out and like telling people that's totally fine you can write that and i feel like at times that might have been the mahala model as well yeah it totally was and you know it, it was liberating it was exciting and at times it was really important you know like it's it's important to be uncensored at times you know and yeah. the youth need to have their say about shit as well. So it has a lot of value. And, you know, we learn and hopefully we have more empathy and a little more tact nowadays. <laughs> but uh, there's still, I also like, you know, it's it's also shitty to, to, to have to self-censor the whole time, you know, and to be afraid of the repercussions of having a bold voice and, you know, saying the wrong thing and tiptoeing around like, I was always very, you know, just sort of ruthless, and that at times is needed. You know, you got to you got to take things head on and at face value and not sugarcoat everything. So yeah. at a time, at in a way, that kind of journalism is needed. But a, a lot of that, I feel like a lot of what Mahalo was doing and even DIY, it's kind of just shifted to Instagram and Facebook. And in a way, I, was I think just it's thinking about that. And, yeah. In a way, it's a pity because it's a less sort of curated, less professional platform. It's a lot of, you know, it's each, it's each for their own. It's, you know, it's, it's a complicated one. I don't even know how we breach it. (laughs) Yeah, it's that's the thing. Like the social media age definitely did. Because I can see like elements of, you know, the common threads that we used to have like on blogs. And like, you know what? Like I appreciated it. Like when people like called me out or said, no, this is fucked up. You know, sometimes I'd go, hey, shit, maybe you're right. Other times I'd be like, ah, fuck you. You know, this is what we're doing here. And I agree with you that like, yeah, we do... I don't know. You see, the problem that we have is also like the uncensored voices have just become this meme. You know, they become like a standard type of person almost that everyone's just a little bit like cringy about. And then other people just don't want to be lumped in with those people, I guess, like myself, especially, you know, like I still feel like I can speak relatively freely without worrying too much about repercussions, but it's also, it's just, the stuff that I want to say has also changed as time has gone on and the things I want to talk about have, yeah, changed. And I think for me, the problem's more just like people not wanting to hear the stuff I want to say, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, sure. I feel like five to 10 years ago, it was so much easier to be sure about what you thought and said. <laughs> Whereas, there just seems to be so much uncertainty now, you know, and so much cancel culture that it's like it's it's hard to put your neck out and have 
you know, a strong opinion about things. I know that it's hugely important and it's still important to be, you know, to be, to stand up for the things that you believe in and to say, if you think something's fucked up or, you know, it's important to be able to speak truth, speak truth to power, speak truth in your community, speak truth as an artist. I just find it's, it's gotten harder, whereas I thought it was going to get easier. <laughs> but why do you, yeah. why do you think that? Because I mean, it's weird to me because it's not like, you know, your work or the things that you want to say are necessarily things that, you know, like cancel culture would come after or anything, you know, you're pretty much on the social justice wave and like, <laughs> are part of yeah. i assume the solution and you know like yeah so that's why like to me it, so because to me like cancel culture both is and isn't real like yes it has some effects and stuff like that but at the end of the day like mm. you can just carry on doing your stuff unless you know the shit you do is actually horrible yeah. like to people you can say things and people can get upset about it I think we actually are, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm completely wrong here, but it's just in circles I'm in and stuff. Like, yeah. I feel like we can disagree and we can have conversations. And as long as we don't let, like, you know, the internet and shit, like, fuck with our emotions and rile us up the whole fucking time. And, like, mm. you know, and if you approach things with a rational mind and just try your best to, like, yeah, not fuck out. But I guess maybe, maybe it's just, I'm surrounding myself, you know, with the right kind of people. I'm not seeing too much of, you know, the canceling or the people being, you know, needing to be canceled, I guess. Yeah. Look, I mean, that is, I, I totally agree with some of your points there in, in, the, in the sense that it's important to be able to have open dialogue, to respect each other's voices, to respect each other's opinions, you know, and each other's. Yeah sort of right to have a voice and a place in the world and and to not let ego get involved and take things personal personally and hate on each other you know i i just i'm exhausted by that sort of that the way that social media seems to breed a lot of conflict and divisions and it is it is a kind of a i mean it's it's a reflection of everything that's going on at the moment you know and what I'm saying is that it's quite hard to be, to find your niche amongst all that as an artist, as a as a writer, you know, and as a photographer. And a lot of the time, you know, I've, of late, I, I'm either just on a sort of a social justice tip or I'm on something that's, you know, just supposed to be beautiful and something that has an aesthetic value you know and people can read into it what what it is either i'm i'm gonna just kind of channel i'm just trying to channel as much truth as possible basically you know so that there isn't room for misinterpretation and you know misrepresentation uh if that makes sense (laughs) i get that um because yeah i mean unfortunately we do live in an era where things are intentionally misinterpreted a lot of the time and yeah sometimes yeah. i get it you know sometimes like people wake up in the morning and i just like fuck this guy and you know want to find fault mm. and yeah that's that i understand because i do understand how the internet is this conduit and you know i've been a fucking part of it i yeah like i'm actually right now like taking a little twitter hiatus because it just affects yeah. me in the worst fucking ways 
Like, I just don't like the person I become yeah. when I'm on that shit. And like, it's it's so addictive. It's so manipulative. It's so, yeah, you just get caught up in so much nonsense that isn't even like really real in a lot of ways. And that's what gets to me about like all of that shit because it started out as like the dopest way to communicate, you know, like all these things from like yeah. blogs and when we were because when we were writing it was like a back and forth thing it was a conversation between us and the audience and sometimes they disagreed and fucking wanted to tear our throats out but at other times you know like it really contributed and helped and yeah i just wonder like where we're at now if you know that's i think it does happen in some instances like i was saying like in my circles sometimes we can have some pretty decent conversations but then I get on Twitter and mm. I'm not too certain, you know, how much that is there because there's such a performative aspect actually to being online these days. There's such a spectacle led like yeah. way that we have to be, you know, people are heightened characters and are just bigger than mm. they really are. Whereas if you just had to have a conversation with them in real life, it would probably go very differently. Yeah, I suppose it's one of those things where you... I feel about it is that you got to play the game, you know, and you got to make the best of it. Luckily, we are kind of, you know, lucky enough to be able to see it really objectively and, and see it for its pros and cons, you know, and have a break from it when it becomes overwhelming. But yeah, I just sort of, I'm not on Twitter. I kind of am hardly on Facebook anymore and I just have capacity to do Instagram. And that's about as much as I can manage. But the the complicated thing is as well, you, you, you're publishing on your Instagram and then you neglect projects and you neglect like doing bodies of work that you are aiming to publish, you know, to a broader audience. You're just talking to your, you know. This is such a good thing to talk about because this is, so these are conversations that Paige and I have sometimes, you know, about photography and about like, how you know important is instagram because obviously it helps get your name out there and it helps people know who you are it's a good like visual you know it's also it's a good visual gallery in a lot of ways it's like a free blog essentially or a free website but the way it traps people there and then also yeah it's like reaching beyond your actual audience is so difficult on there and it takes up time and thought and worry and like, you know, you post a photo and then you go and you check it five minutes later to see how many likes it got. You check it five minutes later, see how many likes it got. And that's like the whole fucking day is just mm. like, you know, now like seeing how people have interacted with this thing. Or at least that's like what it like can be like for me. And mm. that is something like I'm just trying to like let go of, of just being like, post the thing, put my phone down and go do something else. Go do something valuable. Totally. I mean, we. Uh, what is it called? It's like a dopamine hit, hey? That's exactly. That's what they say. It's it's a drug, man. And we all we all want to be seen and acknowledged, and we want our work to to be validated, you know. And it's a tough one. Whether or not you have to be on there is debatable. I don't know. Uh, I mean, when I look at Kylie, my, my wife, Kylie's Ventil is a painter, as people know. Yeah, they can go listen to that episode of the podcast. Yeah, Kylie was chatting, chatting there. <laughs> Little shout out. 
to my lava for a podcast with Bob. <laughs> but, you yeah, so when I, as I was saying, like Instagram for her is pretty much the cornerstone of her career and her business, you know? She really has, she hasn't, like, obviously her following is growing and that, but it's where her work lives. She, she's a painter. She sells work directly off Instagram. Galleries from all over the world communicate with her, you know, people, yes. her work's starting to show abroad. And she has a very sure trajectory. And Instagram is a crucial part of that, you know, and, and her work has really taken off. And I'm not saying it's only due to Instagram, but like she's really fucking Well, her good. work is really good and Instagram allows her to show it. Her, her work is really great and Instagram is a, is, a, is a vital part of that business. So as but a photographer, you kind of, yeah, for me, like I plug away at it, you know, and I, I definitely enjoy Instagram, but it also, it's, it's, a, it's a distraction. It, you, you get a lot of inferiority complex when you see other people <laughs> doing amazing work and you think to yourself, yo, I need to get out. I need to make work. You know, my work's not good enough. That is so relatable. And I think as an artist, that's just something we go through, you know? We just go through that. You keep, you got to try and not compete with everybody around you. You got to make your own work. You got to make unique work. You got to see value in the things that you do and have faith that, you know, you're, you have a purpose with your art. And if you put it out there and it's unpretentious and it's honest and it's, the best you can do, then let people respond to it how they will. You know, it doesn't really matter. As long as you made yourself happy creating that work, then that's that's what's most important. Yeah, it's just such a fine balance to that whole doing things for yourself versus doing them for other people. And obviously doing them for other people can be doing them for yourself, you know, but like the when I talk about yeah. doing it for other people, I talk about more doing it for their admiration and like, worrying about yeah what mm -hmm. your peers are doing it's such it's su like i fucking hate it so much because like yeah like i'll see other comedians and like you know posting about being in this movie or being in this thing and like it's just like oh fuck but then i'm sure there's people that see me posting <laughs> like some of these like podcast episodes and they're just like oh fuck bob got to talk to that guy bob got to talk to that woman like bob got to do this you mm -hmm. know like but there's me busy being like Ah, you know, Ebenezer's in a short film. Fuck. And like, instead of just being like, let me make a short mm. film, which is, you know, the solution, obviously. But like, yeah, yeah, like you do, you just see other people's stuff and you're like, I can, like, I need to be better. But that's such a terrible way to think because what is being better? Like just create honest art, as you're saying. Having peers is a good thing. It's a good thing to be part of a scene. It's a good thing to be looking at other work, you know? Um, but there's a healthy way to do it and there's an unhealthy way to do it. Totally, totally. And we all got to wrestle with the ego and we got to be humble and, <laughs> you know, be, be supportive of our friends when they're killing it and, you know, keep at it, I guess. And that's what we do. That's what we do our best to do. That's why you're doing five card podcasts, ten podcasts a month, you know? 
you just keep on going and you do what you what you what you're born to do yeah that's it like i've learned that this is an aspect because there is a part of me that does just love finding out people's stories and then sharing them with everyone else because growing up reading magazines like blunts and stuff like that you know i love the interviews i've always enjoyed that aspect of the the process you know like the artist releases the art and then you get to talk about it with them but also you get to find out the inner workings behind everything and like yeah so that's the thing i've learned like with this podcast you know it doesn't always get the listens that i probably would have wanted it to you know at this point in us doing it like i had bigger numbers in my mind but at this point i'm so fucking happy and content just like having these conversations that it is at that point where like it doesn't fucking matter if anyone ever listens to it. I know as uh, someone trying to promote a mm. show that they've got coming up, not necessarily what you want to hear, <laughs> but that is like <laughs> how I feel about it. And it's such a nice place to be. Oh, that's cool, man. I I really respect that. And, you know, I've, I'll, I'm not really here to promote a show. I'm more about having the opportunity to to chat to you so shot for having me on <laughs> on your platform no well i mean the i mean i hit you up not knowing that you had the show coming up but like you know that was a a catalyst yeah, totally. slash talking point thing and it is a thing you've got and it is a thing like you know just looking at your history it's like it is really cool to see since you've been such like a diy cat you know you were someone who even till very recently has been putting on his own photography shows and lots of different kinds of venues. And like, of course, that's how it's done in Durban. But then once it's actually, you see someone break through into that like next level, I don't know, it's fucking dope. And it's like, yeah, that's why I'm super stoked for you, you that you're at that point where fucking Durban Art Gallery, like that is, they do very few exhibitions every year. <laughs> so that's why like that's such a big deal because it's not yeah. like it's a monthly thing there. Like they're very selective and it's usually quite yeah. important work. So how did, yeah. How did you feel yeah. like finding out that that was all going to happen? Like how did that all happen? Yeah. Thanks man. I, I really appreciate the the kind words and it is a big, it is a big thing. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful and it's, it's actually being, um, the, the show is kind of being put together by Alliance Francais. Oh, cool. So it's uh, Alliance Francais and, and uh, City of Durban, Durban Metro show. The curator is called Ingrid Bamberg. She's not from Alliance, but she's a sociologist. And um, the director of Alliance Francais is the one who's really conceptualized the show. Um, his name is Gilles. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's from Paris. And it's I'm working with... Gilles, the director of Alliance Francais, and the curator and Cedric. So it's a whole new experience for me working like with a team on a show. I'm used to doing whatever I want. So <laughs> I've had to, you know, really collaborate and um, um, I get the chance to learn from other people, learn from Cedric, who's just an, like an incredible, legendary photographer and his work. I'm humbled to show work alongside Cedric. It's actually quite a frightening thing to see my work alongside his work. <laughs> <laughs> He's literally like 
you know, he, sh- he should be in the history books. His, his work is sort of magnum level. So, yeah, it's, I suppose I'm going to have to sort of see what comes out of it. I hope it's, so the, the show is also traveling. We've got a, it's showing in uh, Luanda, Angola. Oh, in wow. November and then possibly in France as well. Yeah, so it's going to be my first time really showing properly outside of Durban and taking this work elsewhere. And I just hope it gives me the opportunity to work on other projects and meet people that can help me move with my work, you know, because although Durban, I love everything about Durban and it's it's been the most incredible journey sort of having this body of work that speaks about Durban and is very, um, you know, Durban centric, like um, I need to spread my wings and I've worked elsewhere in the world on small projects here and there, but I'm hoping this to showcase this work around the world in, you know, other cities and other places and it's going to give me the opportunity to really start work on some new projects and um yeah i'm i'm I'm, would really like to do more african cities my passion for you know doc street documentary photography hopefully can take me to new places and help me explore because that's what drives me as an artist and i'm you know it's hard to work on the same project for so long like i'm i'm ready to really take on some you know some other big cities i want to go to lagos and i want to go to um dar es salaam and yeah i plan to go to senegal so that's what i'm hoping for for the future to really travel and you know find some exciting projects outside of durban yeah that's i mean i'm I'm on a similar wavelength and we just got to manage this uh, COVID thing. And yeah, hopefully yeah, life can get a little, little easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, it's time now, because we, we're nearly out of time, to get to the Patreon questions. Every every week, Ooh. you can go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect. Yeah. You can sign up and you can ask guest questions. So Patrick Duff, uh, a name I'm sure right. you're familiar with. Uh, he says, "Yo, dig your work some more." Yeah, Pat and says, <clears throat> and he says, "What equipment did you start out on, and what are you shooting on now?" Oh man, nice to hear from old Pat. Um, so I actually was luckily lucky enough to be at the very end of the analog kind of thing. I learned on an old Nikon thirty-five millimeter film camera. That was my first camera with a 50mm lens and um, yeah, learned how to do manual everything, you know, and look at the light meter and manual focus and working with film and uh, unfortunately I never worked in the darkroom, but yeah, that's what I learned on and now I shoot on pretty much several different cameras I shoot with anything I can get my hands on just to stay like energized you know and excited and interested so I I shoot on my I don't know if you guys can hear the hardy dog yeah we can (laughs) I shoot on a 
5D Mark One or old 5D. I dragged that around the city and oh, I wow. shoot on a Canon 6D. And I shoot on a 35 millimeter film camera. I got a couple of Pentax and a, a Nikon and I shoot on my phone. So that's kind of the exciting thing about this exhibition is that there's work, 35 millimeter black and white film work. There's digital and there's cell phone photos all in one show at the Durban Art Gallery, which is kind of weird and kind of interesting. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Like it's, I mean, that's just, it's where we're at, you know, like use the, use the camera you have as Annie Leibovitz would say. Yeah, totally. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from her. Cool. I'm going to ask one more question here. This one's by Simp Slayer. He sent in a few, but I'm going to ask the best one. And it is, if you had a clone of yourself, would you use the clone to do other work you need to do or send the clone on an adventure of explorations every six months and download the experiences into your head? Sure, that is a tough one. I think definitely if I had a clone, the one clone should just be having the most fun that they possibly could and not do any more work. So exploring would be the clones, and then and then they can down download the experiences into my head, which is what I thought you said. <laughs> yeah. So then that actually sounds like a like yeah, you swap every six months. Like one goes exploring, one does the work. Totally. I mean, luckily my job often it, my job often involves exploring, but I think it's so important to you know to try and find a balance between work and art and family and fun. Like we all really just got to aim for that. Yeah, definitely, man. Well, cool. That brings us to the end here. Uh, I want to obviously say thank you very much. This has been a great chat and I feel like, yeah, we, we got to chat about a lot of different stuff. Got to, got to bring up a lot of different topics. I'm, I'm stoked with this. Thank you. I hope it's, yeah. I hope it all sounds <laughs> like it makes sense and i appreciate the time thank you um yeah our reverence for what you do appreciate it and shout out to my family my beautiful my beautiful wife kylie and my beautiful two kids baby wild and elijah and thanks to anybody who took the time to listen